So I'm going to offer a reading, short reading today. This is from the Connected Discourses of Sangyuta Nikaya, the um, second chapter, Devaputa Sangyuta, which is the, the young devas. <laughs> and this one's number 17, the young deva Subrahma, deva of the celestial spirits, who comes down to ask the Buddha a question of he's got a problem. And uh, this is his question. Always frightened is this mind. The mind is always agitated about unarisen problems and about arisen ones. If there exists release from fear, being asked, please declare it to me. And the Buddha's reply. Not apart from enlightenment and austerity, not apart from restraint of the sense faculties, not apart from relinquishing all, do I see any safety for living beings. This is what the Blessed One said. The young David disappeared right there. <laughs> it's pretty straight. Once again, David's having problems. Even they've got problems up in the Devaloka, this is the problem. Always frightened is this mind. The mind is always agitated about unarisen problems and about arisen ones. If there exists release from fear, being asked, please declare it to me. Not apart from boja, enlightenment, awakening, and tapas, austerity, or committed practice, not apart from restraint of the sense faculties, not apart from relinquishing all, do I see any safety for living beings. This is the Buddha's brief, succinct <laughs> response. Uh, but one would suggest that what he means if you do cultivate Borgia, that's the enlightenment factors, the mindfulness, uh, investigation of dhammas, uh, energy, uh, joy, um, calming, collectedness of mind, samadhi, and equanimity. And if you do cultivate those, there is a release from fear. So that's uh, clearly Buddha was fearless and taught the way to safety. One of the epithets in Nibbana is the safe, the safe, the secure, and he said there's nowhere else. Nowhere else. <laughs> Apart from that, but there is this, and if you cultivate, you can find that. So it's clearly giving the Deva a bit of a shake up. <laughs> yeah. So just reflect this mind. Um, we look around in the world in general, in nature, we see animals are basically always looking out for being attacked by something, looking for food. It's fear and desire, fundamental things. For just for their own physical welfare, survival. We have that too. Um, but even when we have, you know, houses and we have food and we have, you know, security and so forth. Dave was saying, well, you know, because Dave is obviously, they're doing okay too. Mind is still 
always agitated about an unarisen problem. So this is more to do with mental input. And if we consider our lives, then there's a lot of that driving human beings, a fear of being blamed, fear of what they look like, fear of not being accepted, fear of not fitting in, fear of being left behind, rejected, fear of losing a job, um, fear of getting sick, fear of you know, disease, of course, but um, fear about un even about things that aren't here. We have, we have the mentality to imagine what could be and how we better prepare for it. So there's a lot of hoarding that goes on and defences to make sure we'll be okay and uh, on, all, on all levels. You know, make sure you get enough stuff so you can get a good job, so you get a living, otherwise you're not going to get looked after, no way. Make sure you work hard so you get, otherwise, you know, you'd be in trouble. So this very powerful trigger, make sure you look like this, otherwise nobody's going to like you. Make sure you sit like this, talk like this, wear this, otherwise, you know. And that's driving the people along underneath what you're doing, to some degree or another. It's very uncomfortable, you know, the kind of uh, hostility or dislike or contempt or of other human beings. And life in general, you know, the changeable nature of it. Um, so the Buddha's saying, well, you know, you can't get past this no matter how many things you do, however much you've got, how much you've stored up, how, how strong your defense policy is, you can't, you still can't get through this, <laughs> this, this, uh, this fear, agitation is built in, mm. unless, mm. now the waking up, enlightenment waking up, certain things he, he pointed out saying, you know, the problem really isn't that things are impermanent, changing, uncertain, the problem is that we believe they shouldn't be. So we're looking for a certain safety or um, stability in a level of experience that cannot provide it. That's the agitation. We're trying to make secure that which cannot be secure because it's a Nietzsche. We ignore the sign of a Nietzsche. We try to, you know, so there's insurance and there's this and there's that and so forth. Um, we ignore the sign, things are never completed, they're unsatisfactory, they are um, never quite finished. We're, we, we're looking for the perfection, we're looking for the, the ultimate, we're looking to get it right for everybody. Make sure that what I do will be okay for everybody. It doesn't happen. You know, life is a continual mistake of guesswork, really. Dukkha, good saying. Because we don't acknowledge that, we feel that there could be a way in which we get it all right and things will be finished and completed, that be it, over, done with, that's exactly right. Because we don't really acknowledge that, we're always struggling 
and agitating, worrying and comparing. Was it this? Was it that? Was it good enough? Probably could have been better. And you can see how, you know, even star performers, athletes, once you run the three minute mile, you want to run the two and a half minute mile. It's not, you want to keep getting up there. Once you've climbed the 25,000 foot mountain, you want to climb the 26,000 foot mountain with no oxygen and on one leg or something. <laughs> so we, we realize that there's no way you can get to the perfection and to the finality and it's all completed then oh this means you don't have to keep struggling and you have to complaining about yourself and criticizing and uh, feeling anxious it's 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 like this so this is a sense of waking up to it said so also if you're trying to be um find attractiveness in that which is fundamentally not attractive so human body is human body it's that um, the beauty of it very much a matter of opinion and by and large most people will feel that they're not good enough on that level or they're anxious about it I mean, fashion cosmetics because what you are is not nice enough that's fear too you say if you recognize it doesn't have to be that good um, then you could focus on what could be beautiful, which is a quality called metta, it's called the sphere of the beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you do that. And that is attractive because when it's, even animals are attracted to warm-hearted, loving people. Yeah? Yeah. And, and it's not as if you're trying to attract, but to get that sense of feeling uh, accepted, uh, now, often we don't accept ourselves. And so we imagine somebody else doesn't because I'm worried about, you know. So this quality of metta is the beautifying quality, beautifies everything. And it comes straight from the heart and it's natural. You don't have to dress up for it. And uh, the fourth quality is, is uh, find, trying to find selfhood, trying to find that which can own or control or be constant in something that can't. Trying to do that, you're always struggling to make the, the emotional state steady, the energy steady, the intellect steady and comfortable, exactly right. You know? You're trying to assemble a coherent identity of something that can't do it. That is the emotions are changing, the chitta is constantly shifting and changing. Um, and when we take everything that happens in that as myself, it's getting intense when it gets either obsessive, narcissistic, or self-critical. Uh, yeah, a stupid thought, you know, my emotions aren't very comfortable today. You know, we, we take these as, as something that we are, then there's going to be this constant agitation and nervousness stirring. And when you consider it, well, and you know, the very language I'm speaking is not mine. I mean, it's the result of thousands of years of human beings making meanings out of sounds. The accent is British accent, it's not mine. 
say, I didn't decide to have this one. Uh, the language, English language, it's not, I wasn't born speaking this. <laughs> and when you realize that all the, the, the emotions you have are triggered by events happening, the perceptions, the attitudes you have are often socially, socially um, established. Like you know, some countries it's fine to eat dogs. We don't eat dogs. We eat lambs, well, lamb, dog, but the idea of eating a dog is disgusting. Um, some countries you can't eat pigs, it's disgusting. We eat other countries eat pigs all the time. So, you know, these attitudes and biases are, are not self. And yet we can find ourselves extremely triggered by, by these, um, these qualities and identify with them. And they're not yours. And they cause conflict and disharmony. And there's the agitation again. And so if you see things directly, then, and he's also saying to, with these four called distortions, that to see, try to see permanence of that which is impermanent or security in that which is insecure. It doesn't mean there's no security, but looking for it there, you're never going to get it. And looking for the ending of suffering in that which is constantly uh, uh, incomplete and stressful, it's not even going to find it there. And looking for a coherent, stable presence in, in an identity package of perceptions and feelings and so forth, you're not going to find it there. It doesn't mean there isn't one. And this is, of course, what the, the deathless, the barn, the unconditioned is about. Mm. Mm. So this is waking up to it. So austerity, this means any tapas, means any sort of any practice that moves against the flood, the tide of becoming, the asava. These outflows is a tapas, meditation is tapas, taking precepts is tapas, commitment is, is tapas because you have to stand against, you know, all kinds of comfort seeking or security seeking or popularity seeking trends. There's, there's the cutting edge, you know. You straight with the sense faculties and realize something that one can cultivate. We can notice, say, a flower and feel pleased. And we probably with some reflection saying, what flower is that? Pleasure is here, happiness is here, there's the flower. Okay, so I don't have to go into the flower to find the happiness, it's coming from here. Uh, so why go out? And once one knows where one's happiness is, then could that be cultivated around not momentary appearances in the sense realm, but around qualities of um, respect and integrity and goodwill, this kind of qualities that, that, that make one feel warm-hearted. Relinquishing all, 
this is an interesting because I think one can probably misunderstand that as some extreme asceticism, but the word here is um, nitsogo, which nitsogo refers to giving up something that wasn't really yours. It's like a forfeiture. It means put aside, don't hang on to what was never was yours in the first place, but you thought it was. So he says, well, relinquishing all. <laughs> this means the, you know, the senses, the, the indriyas, the kandas, the, the, everything that could be seen as a manifestation arose. It was conditioned. It was never yours. You know, the body was never yours. It, it arose. It was formed out of food and water and air and so forth. Uh, so you know, it was never. So acknowledge that. It doesn't mean you've got to get rid of it. It means you, that's that. And therefore, one has a sense of uh, respect, detachment, dispassion, and even gratitude that we've been gifted for a while. For a while, we've been gifted to use this properly. So relinquishment does not mean you know, dismissing. It means once we liberate it from the grasping selfhood, then one can relate to that in a much more appropriate, judicious and balanced way. Our lives are gifts, not possessions. So this is definitely, you know, the Buddha's perspective and practicing it. So enlightenment faculties or faculties of waking up that we train ourselves in mindfulness the ability to sustain spacious non-grasping unflustering awareness attention around a thought a sensation a feeling an emotion a body a situation uh, a relationship we're in this how is that and as we know, the content of what we're mindful of is going to be moving and shifting. Yeah. You're not going to find anything, any content that doesn't have some ripple and shift and struggle with it. Whether it's your own body, how you are with another person is going to have some shift and change and not quite right and you know, separations and misunderstandings. But we use these to make the mindfulness something that that maintains and doesn't give up the focus and doesn't give up connection despite the shifting and changing of the phenomena that we're mindful of which bodies and minds are clear examples therefore without trying to make them stable and constant we arrive at something that's more stable and constant which is the relationship to them, the mindfulness of them. And of course, the big one is, can we be mindful of disagreeable feeling? <laughs> which definitely, you know, can we be mindful of agreeable feeling, which makes us, you know, can you maintain that? Uh, and, you know, there's a possibility of undiluted uh, clarity, undiluted presence. And Dhamma Vijaya, the second of the awakening factors, 
to explore. This is a Dhamma. This is a quality. It feels like this, this mood, this energy, this sense of whatever we're meeting, being blamed, feels like this. I don't like it. Um, not agreeable feeling at all. Could it be ever the case there was no disagreeable feeling? No. <laughs> Therefore, this which is getting in my way is the way, is another way to sustain and to test and to hold one's sati. Because it's not a person that's experiencing a quality, a mood, a shift, an emotion, physical discomfort, emotional discomfort. One is experiencing a quality that we take personally. But it's not a person. Everybody gets it. It'll happen to you sooner or later. Uh, you can't be separated from it. You can't control it. You can't, you can't even store it up. If you are storing it up, what's happening, what makes something seemingly permanent is because one hasn't really yet established proper awareness of it. One is defending against it or holding on to it or triggering, being triggered by it to be obsessed with it. I'm taking it very much as a person. Unpleasant feelings like this. Nobody likes it. <laughs> yeah, it happens. The world is unfair, unjust. People we love get hurt. I don't like that. But me not liking it isn't going to make it any different. So there can be, with clarity, it can be a response of compassion rather than agitation and, and negativity towards this being, that being, towards the human predicament in general. And that's definitely a shift uh, in which one feels one has established perspective, proper perspective. One's lived responsibly when he's brought forth what's truly human. So these then are qualities that we as we explore these as qualities rather than as a person there is that beginning to find one's way to some appropriate ground and through these practices as one becomes less engaged with uh, the search for permanence in, in conditioned things less appalled by the nature of conditioned things, less dazzled by the nature of conditioned things, then the citta draws to its own presence of awareness. And this is the deathless when the citta does not take a stand upon, does not grasp, does not establish itself upon conditioned phenomena. This is the deathless. So that's a safe place for, for beings the only safe place. And from this safe place then one is in a proper state to deal compassionately and clearly with situations that arise. There's no bluff, no pretense, no negativity.
we just get on. Forgiveness, tolerance. You know, we just get on. We're no longer idealistic. Uh, no longer supreme. No longer the best or the worst. We just get on. And that's what <laughs> that's what life is asking of us. <laughs> you know? And this situation as with all. I think it was maybe a week ago when I was asked to do a video. I can't. No, I'll never do. I, no, I don't do that. <laughs> I've done four since then. <laughs> but you, whether you want to do it, feel good about doing it. You know, when the when the situation arises, and you feel connected, and you feel compassion and concern, and you you feel you can help people, you just do it. Whether you can do it good, not so good, the best, exactly what people want, or you just do it, because that's, that's all you do. <laughs> not apart from enlightenment and austerity, not apart from restraint of the sense faculties, not apart from giving it all back. Do I see any safety for living beings? Mm. I'd like to suggest the Buddha meant with this, if there's enlightenment factors and that committed practice, if there's sense restraint, if there's a sense of letting go, then there is safety for all beings. Yeah. Not just for oneself, but for all beings that you come in touch with because you're not demanding they be something or trying to get something out of them or fearing and despising them. Uh, this is the path to safety. So that's, <laughs> that's what I have to say for this evening. <laughs>